And I hope that we're all together here in the sight of God and the presence of God to hear what He has for us. Amen. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says you want to keep His commandments. Amen. And so tonight I want to bring you a commandment. And I don't want to be long, and I don't want to be complicated. I want to be very simple. I have come to believe in my old age that it is not a lack of knowledge that keeps us from pleasing God, but it's a lack of doing what we already know. Amen. And therefore, I want to mention something to you that you should already know, but that I fear affects us all. I want to read the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 4. These, this, these are the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel and the doctrine which is according to godliness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the most tender-hearted and forgiving of all, I pray that you will bless us in this short time we have, that by your Spirit, speaker and hearer, might be fully convicted, converted, away from bitterness, and toward tender-heartedness. Have mercy upon us, in the blessed name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Malice is ill will toward someone else. Clamor is loud, spiteful speaking toward someone else. You know what the other words mean. Bitterness, but that's the word we want to deal with. Bitterness. You can see what it's connected with here. It's connected with wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, spiteful talking about someone else, malice, ill will toward someone else. But then we have it set in distinction to what's in verse 32. Because in verse 32, it's kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Therefore, bitterness must be the opposite of those because we put that off, we're to put this on. So I can tell you from Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32, that putting off bitterness means it's going to be easier for you to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Amen. And if you're not kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving, then you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ yet, Amen. and you need to. Because to be like Him which that 32nd verse tells us, we need to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. But I want to deal with the word bitterness. Bitterness, in our dictionary, is intense animosity or virulence of feeling against someone. We don't use the word virulence anymore. Its definition is to be bitter. Isn't that helpful? Spiteful or malignant. Or having enmity toward someone else. Bitter is something that we experience by taste. It's the opposite of sweet. When we have something touch our palate that is sweet, we have pleasant thoughts. 
When something bitter touches our palate, they are thoughts of pain. It is a painful taste sensation to be bitter. When bitterness is residing in our heart, it is a painful, unpleasant, sour feelings and disposition toward others. I could turn you to a number of passages that show you the few times that bitter and bitterness is used in the Bible, that it's connected with revenge and hatred, envy and covetousness, cursing, anger and criticism, and trouble. Here we can see enough. I don't want to turn you to too many places. Right here it connects bitterness with wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, saying unkind things about someone else and being mad at them. And to put it off and to replace it with something that God wants us to replace it with, we're to replace it with kindness, tender-heartedness, and forgiveness. So bitterness is not forgiving. Bitterness is having a hard heart. And bitterness is not being kind by its distinction here from verse 32. Let me see if I can give you a definition from having studied this word throughout the Bible that might be of help to you. If you're bitter... And I'm just going to say something here. I'm going to help you. I think everyone in here has bitterness. It's a matter of degree, not a matter of existence. And it's something that we all have to work on, and I don't want to spend long on it. I just hope that we all leave here with enough conviction by the Holy Spirit and that you want to please him enough that you'll look for it in your life, find it, and get rid of it. A soul and heart that's been soured and made bitter by harboring animosity, envy, resentment, disappointment, revenge, unforgiveness, and grudges for someone's offenses against you that have resulted in an unhappy, a critical, an unkind, and a discontented disposition and outlook toward life, and particularly toward the object of your bitterness. A soured heart because it's been harboring unforgiveness and revenge and resentment and animosity to the extent that it's affected your outlook toward that person or persons or your whole outlook toward life that you are now unhappy, critical, unkind, and discontented because you have bitterness in your heart. You are angry at someone, you are holding offenses against someone, you're not letting them go, and therefore you have built up a sour attitude toward them. When you're around them, you're uncomfortable. When you're around them, you don't trust them. When you're around them, you can find their faults with your eyes closed. Because bitterness makes you that way. If you're bitter in your heart, you can see another person's faults without even trying, when the Bible would tell us to be very tender-hearted and forgiving and overlooking a person's faults, bitterness makes us very sensitive toward them, where we're looking for them, because it makes us happy. Because when we're bitter towards someone, we hate them, therefore we want to find fault, so that we have an excuse to harbor our resentment toward them. Now, would anyone in this room be even poss- could even possibly hold such feelings toward another person? All of us. I want to tell you right here up front that this primarily relates to your marriages. Bitterness affects marriages 
dramatically for a couple of very obvious reasons. Marriage is a very intimate relationship, which means you get to see all the faults of the other party. Another problem with marriage is that there's authority involved, and when there's authority involved, the one under authority, if they're holding bitterness, doesn't want to submit. And the one that's in authority, if they're holding bitterness, they're resentful of the lack of performance, and they don't they expect more out of the one under their authority because of bitterness. Look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and let's see a few verses as it describes bitterness. I hope that when we leave tonight in just a few minutes, that we will go out of here with the intent that we're going to examine ourselves, find our bitterness, confess it to God, and repudiate it as a sin that he hates as much as any other sin, and clear it with those people that we're bitter with. James chapter 3, it was, it's about the tongue. We read these verses last Lord's Day morning. James 3, 9, Therewith, with our tongue that is, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? One way that you can detect bitterness in the heart is the way that someone speaks about someone else. If they're speaking critically, sarcastically, cutting, ridiculing, negative, you've got yourself a bitter person. And they're easy to find. We've got some in here. Some of you already know. If I was to ask for a short list of the five most bitter people in this assembly, and all of you were to pass in three-by-five cards, I believe that most of you would be able to get the same five people. Now, isn't that exciting to hear that from your pastor? Listen, this is a father with his children. There's bitterness, and there's some of you that have a lot of it. And you need to get rid of it. And there's others of you that have less of it, but you need to get rid of it also. Because we ought not to have any of it. Because if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to get rid of it. It said in Ephesians chapter 4, getting rid of it all and replacing it with a kind, tender-hearted, forgiving spirit. Speech. Here in James chapter 3, it's speaking about the difference between sweet and bitter. And what it is, is blessing or cursing. A person that has no bitterness is blessing everyone. A person that's having bitterness is withholding blessing because they'd rather curse and complain about someone. According to the symptoms of James 3. But I want you to look further in James 3. Let's come down to verse 14. If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Now that tells us a little bit more, doesn't it? It tells us that bitterness is envying and strife. Envy is to resent the advantage that someone else has. Don't just make it petty jealousy. It's too narrow. Envy in the Bible is bigger than that. It's just resenting someone else. Ill will toward them. If ye have bitter envying and strife, If you're always feeling contentious with someone, they're always failing you. You like finding their faults so that you can contend with them. You've got bitterness. If you have this, here's what God wants you to know about yourself. If I have this, here's what God wants me to know about myself. If ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not. And bitterness loves to glory in it because we know what bitterness is. 
it's harboring animosity for past offenses. And it just loves to hold them like it's got something over someone else. That's what bitterness does. It sours your outlook and perspective and relationship with someone because you're holding on to little things that you would not forgive and forget from the past, and you like to hold them because it makes you feel good in your bitterness towards someone else. And this, this verse says that ungodly men glory in it, but don't glory in it because you've got something over someone, because Jesus says to get rid of it so that you have nothing over someone. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Now, does it get any plainer than that? This wisdom, this way of treating other people, this approach to life, this disposition, this attitude descends not from above. And there's only two places it can descend, it can move from. Either from above, from God, or from beneath, from Satan. And it comes from Satan because it goes on to say, it's earthly, it's sensual, and it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Brethren, God save us from confusion and every evil work. And what does it all flow from? Being bitter. Harboring feelings of animosity towards someone else because of some little things that you want to hold on to that you're unwilling to pass over, forget and forgive. So you hold on to bitterness. I was hurt. They hurt me. They hurt me so bad I'm not going to forget. That's just pure revenge from hell. That is not the religion of Jesus Christ. Try to convince me that you're a child of God holding an attitude like that. Convince me with the Bible that you can have an attitude like that and not want to get rid of it as soon as you hear about it and be a child of God. That is the most hateful, spiteful, which is exactly the definition of bitterness, a spiteful attitude towards someone else where you enjoy the fact that you're holding past offenses over them. And women, because they're under submission, have a temptation with doing that. Because they're under submission, if they can find fault with their husband, it excuses them from being the sweet, loving, virtuous, tender, forgiving, kind wives that they're supposed to be. Husbands are tempted to be bitter because the white, the woman is the weaker vessel and she's always going to let them down. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 tells us that we better dwell with them according to knowledge, remembering that they're the weaker vessel. And then Colossians 3.19, the verse I dislike the most in the New Testament, and I speak as a fool when I say that, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Because husbands can be just as tempted to bitterness because their wife disappoints them. So therefore, all the men and women in this assembly need to be thinking right now about their bitterness. It goes on to say here that where that envying and strife is, that's bitterness. There's confusion in every evil work. But here's the wisdom from above. Here is how we're to relate to one another in a godly way. Verse 17, first pure, then peaceable. Look at these precious words. Do you love these words? Amen. This is from, this is the religion of Jesus Christ. This is how we deal with one another as Christians. Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. 
and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. That is the opposite of bitterness. Peace is all those that are trying to sow peace and that are full of peace and that are gentle and easy to be entreated and full of mercy and they're peaceable. They want to constantly end bitterness. And husbands and fathers, we're responsible in our homes. It's our job to go after our wives and after our children and try to get rid of any bitterness that's in our families and to replace it with this kind of peaceful, tender-hearted, forgiving, gentle, easy-to-be-entreated, merciful relating of one to another. Did you know that the Bible the Bible speaks of holding grudges? I mean, we're here in James, so that we don't have to go very far. Look at James chapter 5 and verse 9. Let's look at some other references to the symptoms and the problem of bitterness. It says in James 5, 9, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. That's bitterness. You're holding a grudge. Well, you don't know how bad he hurt me. Oh, come on. Is that all we're going to do? Is talk about how bad you're hurt? Confess it as a sin. There's only two ways to handle being hurt. There's only two. I haven't figured out a third yet. If, if your marriage partner or your child or a member of this assembly hurts you, you've got two options. One, you can be glorious, Proverbs 19.11, and pass over the thing. Do you know what passing over it means? It doesn't mean not bringing it up right then and putting it in the filing cabinet to bring it out later. As soon as you bring up an event from the past, you are guilty of bitterness. Amen. Because there is never profit in bringing up an event from the past. All you're doing is, if I bring up this event and this event and this event, then I can make this person look like a scoundrel. That's bitterness. If you pass over something, do you know what that means? You pass over it. You go right on by it. It doesn't mean putting it up and putting it in your back pocket for future reference. It means to pass over it. That's a glorious man. You are only glorious if you truly pass over it. If you can remember it, you haven't passed over it. You're bitter. You wouldn't stop to pick it up because the glorious man doesn't. The glorious woman doesn't. You pass over it. That's your first option. If you can't handle that because you're not glorious, then you've got to confront. That means you've got to go to the person and say, this thing that you have done hurt my feelings. That's an inglorious way of dealing with somebody. But if you've got to do it, go ahead because that's your only second option. But if you've got to do it, you go kindly and say, what you did hurt me. If they say, I am sorry for what I did, please forgive me, you've got to forgive them. You can't remember it. And when the next time it happens, go to them and say, I've got this one and I've got this one. You're bad. You've got to make a, a independent decision again. Do I pass over it in glory or do I confront Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17? And if they repent, you forgive. There is no third option. Therefore, if you have anything between you and anyone in this assembly right now, especially spouses, I want you to think about each other. We have a problem, don't we? Because if you passed over it, it's not there. And if you confronted properly, 
it's not there. So guess what? If there's anything between you and someone else, so that it is not peaceful, gentle, tender-hearted, forgiving, and wonderful, we've got a problem. I should sit down and let you go home. But I'm not done yet. We've got a problem. That's bitterness. It eats marriages up. It eats all relationships up. It eats churches up. You know, the Lord once said to, through Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says, I love a cheerful giver. I don't want you to give to me grudgingly. And I don't want you to give out of necessity. I want you to think about that. He puts cheerfulness way over here, and that's, that's a glorious way of dealing with people, cheerfully. Or you can be really odious, and you do things grudgingly. Or you can do it out of necessity, or you can be cheerful. That's a comparison he makes of three different words in 2 Corinthians 9-7. I hope that we can all be cheerfully in love with one another. And I mean that in the scriptural sense of the word. That every spouse in here can be cheerfully, peacefully, gently, and all the good words that we had in James 3, 17 and 18 toward each other. We're all tempted this way. I said what I said about Colossians 3, 19 because I know. I also live in the flesh. Colossians 3, 19 is a difficult verse. I think it's much harder than Ephesians 5, 25. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. I can define that in just about any general way and feel that I can skate through that verse. But I get to Coloss- I'm talking about the flesh. I get to Colossians 3.19. It says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. That's a hammer. That's a ha- How do you get past that? Be not bitter against them. May the Lord help us not to be bitter. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about biting and devouring one another. Do you know what bitterness does? See, you snap. All you got- Just look for the person that snaps. Just look for the person that does this. God forgive me. I, I'm as guilt, I can be guilty of it as anyone else. And I hate it, and I want to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, and I want to teach you to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Just look for that little snapping, criti- criticizing, critical, biting. Galatians chapter 5 says, if you bite and devour one another, you're going to destroy everything. God keep us from that. Brethren, it's a problem. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? James 4. 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Any fights in your home? Any fights in your marriage? No, I've never thrown anything at my husband. Oh, come on. Let's get a little tougher than that. Have you ever fought by being bitter? Have you ever resisted? If you're resisting your husband, that is fighting. He's your husband. You're supposed to be submissive to him. It's what the Bible teaches. It's not what I teach. It's what the Bible teaches. From whence come wars and fightings among you? And he's going to answer that question. Come they not hence? even of your lust that war in your members. We all have a lust inside us that loves to be bitter. Because that bitterness gives us power over other people and justifies our evil conduct toward them because we have found something in them that we don't like, that hurt us, that we're going to hold on to to keep justifying our evil treatment of them. 
Verse 2, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now look at this verse. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. Do you think God wrote that last sentence in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. We all have a spirit that loves to envy. And envy in its broad sense is the resentment of another. That's the problem. Marriages are destroyed when this thing is allowed to, to occur. Because, the brethren, the thing about bitterness is, if you don't get rid of it tonight, it's going to be bigger next week. It grows. It doesn't sit still. It doesn't just lay there in a seed form. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14 of Hebrews 12 says, Follow peace with all men. That should be enough, shouldn't it? If we followed peace with all men, wouldn't that be getting rid of all these feelings of animosity towards someone? Follow peace with all men. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently. Brethren, this is why. This is important. And you've got to apply effort. Looking diligently. Self-examination. Diligently. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now we know, I hope I don't have to spend more than 10 seconds, we know that God is not going to lose any of his covenant elect, Jesus Christ, that I would lose none of them, they'll all be in heaven. So it's not talking about that. But the grace of God that was given you in salvation can be lost as far as it bearing fruit in your life of being a peaceful, holy person. Because you can be a bitter, hard, harsh, critical, unhappy, discontented, angry person. And that's failing of the grace of God. And it doesn't matter how much I preach about the grace of God, and it doesn't matter how strongly we defend the doctrines of the grace of God if we're not going to live the grace of God. Because living the grace of God is being peaceful, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, impartiality, good fruits, and we sow peace. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. That's what we're to be doing right there, following peace and holiness and not having any profanity. Um, And I don't mean speaking profanity. I mean living in a profane way where we don't have proper regard for the things that God puts value on. And what God puts value on is peace, love, mercy, grace, gentleness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Those are the things we've got to have. But it says to look diligently, lest there be a root of bitterness springing up. It will not stay there. If you allow something to hold on to it, they hurt me so much, I just can't let that go, let go of that. It's been so many years. How many years have you sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ? And he put it all away. 
I don't care how many years it's been. I don't care how many months it's been. I don't care if it's been decades. I don't care. It doesn't matter. We're to look diligently and to put away that bitterness. Marriage is a cooperative relationship. Cooperative means that the respective roles of leader and follower are done by choice. Therefore, if bitterness creeps in there, it disrupts that relationship seriously. Because then no longer does the wife want to be the willing follower. She resents it. She puts her heels in. She balks. She argues. She fusses. She throws her little fits. She deprives. She defrauds. She denies. Whatever she can do to punish back. That's not how Jesus Christ would have us live. Put away all bitterness. Let all bitterness be put away with all anger and wrath and the other things listed there in Ephesians chapter 4. <coughs> Parents and children can have bitterness develop between them because, again, it's an intimate relationship where we all see each other's faults. Don't we get to look so nice in here on Sunday? Ties pulled up tight, shirt clean, bathed and showered, hair combed. But see, at home, we get to see everyone's faults. We get to see the room. We get to see the way the kitchen was taken care of after the teenagers hit the refrigerator. We get to see all the things. But you know what? There's only two ways to handle all those problems. The same two ways I've already mentioned. You pass over it because it's not big enough for you to make an issue out of it, or you confront and deal with it. And you deal with it scripturally and kindly and fairly with equity. And when you've done dealing with it, it is over. There's only two ways. There isn't any other way. You can't let it accumulate. That's what bitterness is. It's accumulation process. And it'll eat you up. It'll eat a marriage up. And when bitterness gets big enough, that root is no longer a root. And it's not even a sapling. It's a tree. It will choke you so bad you'll do anything. Because it will feed such fury in you and anger and resentment and animosity toward its object that you'll do anything. And you'll break down the Christianity that you're supposed to be living because of that tree of bitterness that's inside. May God save us from that. In the Bible, what examples do we have? Our Joseph had some brothers that were envious of him because his father loved him. What'd they do to him? They wanted to kill him. One brother saved his life. Herodias was bitter against John the Baptist. Why was Herodias bitter against John the Baptist? Because he had said it was wrong for her to have the marriage that she had. So what did she do? What did that bitterness accomplish in her heart? killed John the Baptist as soon as she had an opportunity. Ahab was bitter against Naboth because he wouldn't sell him his vineyard. Remember what he did to his bitterness? Those, when you get depressed, when you get to, so depressed that you're dysfunctional, remember Ahab wanted that vineyard and he couldn't get it, so he went home, he laid in his bed, he turned his back, and he wouldn't eat. I don't feel like eating tonight. Oh, come on. When, it, when you hear those words... It's a little voice saying, I've got some bitterness problem. And Jezebel came along and said, what are you sad for? You're king. And he said, well, Naboth wouldn't sell me his vineyard. And so Jezebel went and had him killed. 
but it came from the bitterness of being told that he couldn't have that vineyard and he would not let it rest there. Naboth was right. That was, a, that was land that was given to him by inheritance that was supposed to stay in his tribe and he wasn't supposed to sell it. How long did Absalom hold bitterness against Amnon? How long? Two years. Two years, Absalom acted like Mr. Nice Guy until he could get all of David's sons together in one place. Then he killed Amnon for having violated his sister Tamar instead of leaving it up, with his, leaving it up to his father. You know, there's a whole book in the Bible written about bitterness that the Apostle Paul deals with, and it's Philemon. The book of Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. He eventually ended up with Paul. Paul converted him, and Paul sent him back, bearing a little letter to Philemon. And he says, Philemon, you've been a great fellow laborer with me, but I want to ask you a favor. If you can't forgive him for his sake, if you can't forgive him for Christ's sake, forgive him for my sake. Then he brags on him. He says, I know that you'll do even more than I'm asking. The whole book of Philemon is about the Apostle Paul convincing a man, Philemon, to let go of his bitterness against a servant that ran away. We hardly ever return to Philemon, do we? But there it is, a lesson about bitterness and the apostle going after a man very specifically to forgive him. He said, now that this man's converted, he can not only be a servant for you, but he can be a brother. He'll be better than he ever was. It's a, it's a beautiful little letter. God has spoken. I want you to see Colossians 3.19 so all the husbands can see it. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands, love your wives and don't hold any grudges and have a disposition of animosity toward them for the things that they disappoint you in. Here's how we have to deal with our wives. If it's small enough, we pass over it. If we can pass over it, we pass over it. If we can't pass over it, then we point it out to them, this disappointed me, I wish you hadn't done it this way, and the wife should respond cheerfully to that confrontation. But they shouldn't ignore both of those and just add it to the deck of cards. So that when the big night comes for the big card game, do you know what I mean about the big card game? That when it's time to bring out the full deck and you just flash all those cards in front of the wife and point out, I've got 87 violations here, which shows you're a loser. I don't care how you say it. We can't do it that way. It's got to be dealt with right then. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Let all anger and wrath and clamor and evil speaking and bitterness with malice be put away. Wives, you've got to do the same thing. You're actually in a position under authority for the man. There's no, there's no right for you to be holding bitterness. All of it's to be put away. And some of the, some of this bitterness can be of long standing time. And many offenses. But tonight when we go home, is it possible for us to be peaceful, gentle, tender-hearted, forgiving saints like the Lord Jesus Christ? Look at Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. What does your spouse do that bothers you that you haven't dealt with the right way? 
that you're remembering a little too much, that you haven't forgiven, forgotten, and you're loving them. You're just holding it there. You know you should get rid of it, but you're just holding it. It won't stay small unless you get rid of it. If you blow the seed out the door and sweep it out in the street, you're, that's great. But if you don't get it out there, it's going to destroy you. As far as any Christian testimony and peaceful, loving, gentle, tender relationship like we all ought to have with one another. I read in Leviticus 19, verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. We shouldn't go around saying anything negative about anyone else. Is that plain enough from verse 16? Amen. Verse 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Rule number two for getting along with people from this passage is we're not supposed to hate him in our heart. We're supposed to tell him his fault, correct him, and help him by getting over that thing. Verse 18. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. He says, I am the Lord, to get your attention. And what he says in that 18th verse is, no grudges. Do you have any grudges? No grudges. You say, but if I don't hold on to my grudges, then he's just going to walk all over me. Right. He's hearing this sermon too. I don't know of anybody that's going to go home and just walk all over you. Anyway, you're not trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in your own sin as your Savior, which is just the height of foolishness. To think that by holding on to these things that he's done wrong is your protection, is using sin as your Savior instead of Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because if you would cast it all upon him and put all of your trust in him, he cares for you and he will take care of you. But you've got to do it his way. We want to do it his way. And his way is glorious. Brethren, what are you going to do tonight? James chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 says, Does the scripture say in vain that we have a spirit in us that loves to envy? It does not say that in vain. It's true about all of us. But do you know what the very next sentence is of James chapter 4 and verse 6? And it's very short and it ends with a period and it's not the whole verse. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. James 4, 6. But he giveth more grace. Isn't that wonderful? There's within us a spirit that loves to be bitter. There's a spirit in us that loves to envy. But he giveth more grace. I like that. He giveth more grace. God gives enough grace for you to overcome your bitterness. There's victory in Jesus. We can overcome that bitterness and put it away so that a relationship can be tender-hearted, peaceful, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, impartiality, no hypocrisy, and you sow peace. Beautiful, wonderful, precious. It's what it ought to be. Several have obtained victories in this congregation in the last few weeks that I know about. Some of you may know about it. Most of you don't. I just want to tell you, it's exciting. If they were going to get up here right now, they'd tell you that it's exciting to start over a relationship without any bitterness. It's beautiful. 
those of us who've been married for a long time, little things accumulate, and if we haven't been living righteous before the Lord and blowing all this out the back door, we've got great hindrances to a peaceful, gentle, tender-hearted relationship. How do we deal with it? What, how, do we, how do we deal with it? We've got to examine ourselves and identify that we're holding bitterness. Then we've got to make it right with God. We've got to confess it as a sin, repudiate it as a horrible evil, and get rid of it because it doesn't have anything to do in a Christian's life. Self-examination, identification, I don't care if you've got to list it. One party that was delivered from it recently listed it all down on a piece of paper. What an ugly piece of paper. It should have burst into flames with the final point. But it was helpful by getting it all out. Identify it. Self-examination, identify it. Ask the Lord to help you identify it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. If there's any bitterness there, it's a wicked way, and God will show it to you. Get it out. Confess it and repudiate it. Then pray for the person that you've been bitter against. Try praying for the person that you've been bitter against. Try it. Pray for the person that you've been bitter against. Do you know what the Bible says? It says to pray for them that despitefully use you. Okay, let's say that you've been justified in your bitterness, which no one is. But you really think you have a case, and you're going to get rid of it all. And, but you still believe in your heart that you've been despitefully used? Do you know what the Bible says? Pray for them which despitefully use you. This is the attitude of Jesus Christ. This is the spirit of Jesus Christ and his disposition. Can you get down on your knees, the person that you were bitter against, and pray for them in a loving way for their profit and blessing of God? That passage is Matthew 5, and it says, By doing that, you are truly the children of your Father which is in heaven. That's a tough standard. It's a whole lot more than coming forward at a Billy Graham crusade, isn't it? It's a whole lot more than believing salvation is by grace. It's doing something hard. Then replace it. Replace it with tender-hearted, gentle, peaceful service and love of the other party. Now, if you can't get rid of it that easily, and you're a husband or a father, and you think there's bitterness there in the other party, go confess it. Confess your bitterness to that other party. I didn't say confront them. I'm getting to that. Confess your bitterness. If, if there's people here tonight that trust, that trust the living God and are being moved by the Holy Spirit, for you to get down and to confess your bitterness to them, brother, that's heaping coals of fire on their head that's it's horrible. It's horrible in a good way. They're going to want to confess theirs. And if you can get rid of both sides of bitterness at once, that's glorious. If you can't get rid of it that way and they're holding on to it and you're the one in authority, then confront them. Because you have that responsibility. Confrontation over bitterness and secure their confession. We've got to do it. See, it's not, you know what I'm saying right now? I'm saying the most obvious things in the whole universe. It's the proper workings of any relationship. If there's a problem, it's got to be dealt with. If you ignore the problem, then bitterness builds up on both sides and it accumulates and grows over time until there's enmity, animosity, hatred, revenge, resentment. It could be, it could be pretty well kept under control, but it's there and it's not going to stay the same size.
It's waiting for a chance to come out, and it will lead you into other sins. Remember that root of bitterness springing up will trouble you, and thereby many may be defiled. No one likes confrontation or communicating about problems, but it has to be done that way. No one likes it. No one. We have too many things going on in our lives. We get up in the morning and we're in a hurry. We come home from work and we're in a hurry because we've got too many activities that night. What if there was a whole night for a couple to have nothing to do but talk about what's wrong with their relationship? We live in a society where there's more labor-saving devices than ever, and there isn't time to do that. It's made the lowest of the priorities. And the reason is because there's too much humility required. The husband doesn't want to get down and go through the work. There's too much work on the husband's part, and, and there's too much humility on the wife's part for them to get together and get that over with. And it can be gotten over with quickly. If there's two people that have the wisdom that's from above, like James 3 describes, they can get rid of it easily. Easily and quickly. They're going to meet each other halfway and say, I know we've been wrong. Let's just forget it all. Let's start over. Yes! And just forgive each other. And grab each other. And say, the past is empty. Nothing. My heart's bare. I hold nothing. I forgive. I forget. It's over. If, if all of you are hearing me tonight and you love Jesus Christ, you're all going to want to act that way. But we don't take the time. And brethren, these relationships that we're talking about are far more important than the other things that replace them. The way of transgressors is hard, and I've added one more thing to the way of being a transgressor, and that's holding on to bitterness. Husbands, take the leading role. Confess your bitterness. Ask for their forgiveness. What do you think might happen? Can't every couple go home tonight and confess their bitterness and say, let's forget the past. Let's forget the pain. Why do you want to hold it? You're, a, you're sinning. And it's a root that's going to grow up and defile your marriage. Can't every couple go home tonight and get rid of it and love one another in peace and gentleness and tenderheartedness, even as Christ has loved us? I read about a woman who turned it over to the Lord. You know, this, this, is a, this is a sin, so it's not just agreeing with your husband. It's getting down and telling God, I've been a sinner. I've been sinning, Lord, against you by holding on to things from the past, against my husband, against my children, against so-and-so in the assembly, and to ask for the Lord to forgive you. That, that's the true forgiveness that God gives. And if you ask God for strength by his son, Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, he will give you strength to do that. A woman named Hannah was bitter in her heart because she had another wife that she had to compete with for her husband, Elkanah. That wife's name was Peninnah. Peninnah had children for Elkanah, and Hannah had none. And the Bible said she was pushed so hard she was fretting against the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, but I want to tell you where she took hers. She took hers to the Lord and got rid of it. She got down on her knees in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and told the Lord about the grief of her heart and turned it over to him. If you've got pain, turn it over to the Lord Jesus Christ. I taught you a couple Sundays ago, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He does. Hannah got down on her knees and turned it all over to the Lord. And it says when she got up from her knees, after Eli had 
questioned her for why the way she was praying and told her that she was going to get an answer to her prayer, it said she got up and she was sad no more. Isn't that precious? She turned all of her bitterness over to the Lord. She was sad no more. And brethren, she had, she had six children. May God be praised. He'll take care of your bitterness. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, the first five verses are powerful. Word to us. Look, listen to what it says. Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to close with this reference here. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1 says, If there therefore be any consolation in Christ. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, you know that there's great consolation in Christ. The hope of eternal life and the complete forgiveness of all sins. How much more consoling can you be given? If any comfort of love, God has loved you with an everlasting love from the before the world began and will love you through eternity. How much more love could you be given? If any fellowship of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, united with your Spirit, telling you that you can cry, Abba, Father, to your to the God of heaven? That's a lot of fellowship. If any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. That's bitterness. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Do you know what would happen in a marriage if that was practiced? Amen. Why don't you start with the one that's around all the time? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if you go on, you can read what Christ Jesus did for us because of his mindset. His mindset was of tenderheartedness, kindness, and the forgiveness of sins. He was gentle. He was peaceful. He was peaceable. He was easy to be entreated. He didn't hold any grudges. He was not bitter. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. And instead, be ye kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. If you go home tonight, and you get up tomorrow morning, and you still have bitterness that you have not confessed, and not forsaken, and not gotten rid of with your wife, and you didn't go together, go to sleep together peacefully with your spouse, with blank slates, You are sinning before the Lord. There is no reason to live, to live with bitterness. It's not worth it. Blow your brains out. Go meet God with murder on your hands instead of bitterness. It's the breaking of the same commandment, so it won't make any difference. You're guilty of breaking the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill, by harboring bitterness and hatred toward anyone. May God have mercy on the preaching of his word.